0: Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. And good morning, Riverwood. It's good to be with you here live and also to be with you um, for those who are watching online, too. Well, it seems as if the, the topic of the day everybody wants to be talking about SCOTUS. You know the the term, right? SCOTUS. Are we familiar with that? Supreme Court of the United States. That's what SCOTUS is. Yes, everybody's talking about SCOTUS. Why? Well, with the death of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the filling of that, um, to kind of play off of Shakespeare a little bit, to fill or not to fill, that is the question. And so I know the president has put forth a candidate, and I thought I would put forth a candidate as well, in case he is listening and needing another name of someone. I thought this would be someone who would fit real well with that. Um, I think it has a real nice ring to it, the Honorable Lon Snyder, right? Yeah, everyone's agreeing with that. Well, it's interesting, because as you talk about Supreme Court justices, There's always a conversation there about what category do you fall into. Are you someone who is, and there's two categories, basically. Are you an originalist or are you a non-originalist? And what those mean, basically, I'm going to oversimplify. But if you are an originalist you go all the way back to what do the origins of the Constitution, what did it mean? What did the, those who wrote it, what did they intend the meaning to be? Now on the other end, you have the non-originalists, and they are people who approach the Constitution interpretation to say something like, we the people are always changing. We're always changing, and we're getting smarter and growing. Culture is changing, and so the Constitution needs to be flexible enough to handle that. And so you have the originalists and the non-originalists in the interpretation of the Constitution. And again, I'm oversimplifying, and there's probably someone who is watching who can explain that much better than me. But it got me thinking about interpretation of documents. Not only do we interpret the Constitution, we also interpret this thing that I'm holding—God's Word— and and so for a minute I'm going to for those who are watching maybe those who are new to our church how do we interpret this book You might wonder, like, how do we get to the things that we preach and talk about on a Sunday morning, even in our children's classes, in our youth classes? Like, how do we handle this book? And there is a a picture I want to show you that will help kind of explain the approach here at Riverwood very quickly. You hear me talk a lot about the original context. What did it mean? How was it written? Who wrote it? And so we go from a category of what did it mean to them then, what In the past, what did it originally mean? And we have to know the genre, the context, the setting, all of that. But there is a point where we take God's word to what it meant then to what does it mean today. That's the whole goal of God's word. What does it mean here and now? And there's lots of things that we have to take into account. Our, our own culture, time, worldview, the scriptures, all of them. But here is the key. The key is that there is a timeless truth that is true today that was true back then as well. And that is what we work so hard to do, Uh, to take the timeless truth. What does this tell us about God? What did did Paul want us to know? What did Moses want us to know about God? And then also this topic. What is this principle that was true 2,000 years ago that is also true today? That is how we handle God's word here at Riverwood. And I wanted you um, to know that for those who are watching. And again, there's probably more questions about what that could look like. Um, We would always love to engage with you in that. But that is what we are always after, these timeless truths. And so it is the interpretation of God's Word that brings us here today. And I will tell you, we're about to head into a passage that is the most, one of the most controversial that you will ever hear people talk about this morning. And so this idea of how do we find the timeless truth is really, really important. We're going to spend time studying God's Word in a very sensitive topic this morning about human sexuality. And that's why I'm glad you are here. That's why I'm glad you are watching because this is definitely something we need to know. What, is God, what are God's opinions on human sexuality and how can we live our lives today? What did we know back then? What is that timeless truth that speaks to us today? And so also just so for you to know, we're going to also provide a phone number for you. And this is a phone number you can text any question to. Um, now, you might want to write it down, three three zero four two two three nine three eight. 3938 You can text any question at any moment, because here's what I realize, that I am going to be speaking for about 30 minutes, but there is probably hours and hours and hours that we could talk about this topic. There's questions that you have, something more specific, something that you would want more follow-up with. And let me tell you this, that a lot of times when you ask a question, you're asking the same question that somebody else is probably wondering as well. And so we want to make this readily available to you this morning, um, this number. And so please take advantage of that as we talk through. And even in the middle, you might want to text something and say, What about this? So let's engage in this conversation this morning. Last week, let me kind of catch us up to where, kind of get a running start of where we're headed. But last week, Paul had bad news for every single one of us. He called us two names. Two names. It describes you and you, you, you online. It describes me as well. And the two names he called us is this. One, we are suppressors of truth. He called us suppressors what? A suppressor? Yes. Remember the beach ball? We talked about the beach ball. All of us are suppressing God's natural revelation, His truth. That's, that's how our nature is built that way. And so we are suppressors, and secondly, we are exchangers. Exchangers of God's glory. We want to seek out our own glory. And we said we chase down all of these self-made idols. We love to have our idols. And so this week, our, our conversation is a continuation of that. We're going to be talking about how we are suppressors and how we are exchangers. And Paul has another word to describe us as well. And so let's pick up what this might be in verse 24 of chapter 1. If you have your journal, please follow along. If you have God's Word, you have it on your smartphone. Uh, let's read and see. I want you to see God's Word and what it is saying and what it is speaking today to you. God's word says this. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. All right, so it's in these four verses that Paul continues the narrative of mankind. And as of last week, he wasn't quite finished, like I said, of us being idolaters. Uh, The natural continuation downward, there's another kind of downward spiral. We start with this idea of, of people who are suppressors, we are then exchangers, and now we keep spiraling further down. And this is something that is true of all of us. And the word that I put to it is not a word that is in the text, per se, but it is a word that describes, and it is the word distortion. We are people who specifically are distorted, and very much so in this realm of sexual distortion. We suppress truth, we ex- we exchange glory, and we are distorters, especially in this area of human sexuality. And there's, so there's a, a kind of a drawing, it's kind of Homemade. I just want to kind of give us kind of an idea of what our conversation is going to look like. You know, Paul from the very top of Romans 118, suppress. Uh, 123, we exchange. And then in these four verses that we are, we distort. We, there, we are prone to distortion. And especially in this area of our human sexuality. So our conversation this morning, just so we're very clear, is not going to be on, uh, when I say the word um, sex, is not about gender. Um, that's not going to be the conversation. This is the act of uh, that I'm speaking very specific to this morning. And so this past week I was really fascinated by the number of times that the Bible... It places this link between idolatry, how we are exchangers of God's glory, to sexual immorality. Those two things many, many times in the Bible go hand in hand. And I just want to draw your attention just to a couple of them. I could point to four, five, six, but I'm going to point to you just a couple. And the most famous example of idolatry really goes back to the Old Testament, into Exodus chapter 32. You can read the whole story later, Uh, but as you know, the, you know, Moses was gone, Aaron was there, and they're like, hey, let's, uh, hmm, okay, let's gather all of the gold that we have and let's make a golden calf together so we can worship this idol. I don't know where Moses is, but this seems like a really great idea. Now, if you read the narrative, if you get down into verse 6 in chapter 32, it says this. It says, "...and they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play." interesting word to play. It has sexual overtones to it. Why do I think that? Because this is how the apostle Paul interprets it in 1 Corinthians. Now we're going all the way to the New Testament, and it's wonderful when you have the Bible interpreting itself, and that's what you have here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 7, Paul says this. He says, do not be idolaters as some were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Then he says this, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And he talks about 23,000 fell in a single day, going back to that moment. All right, so this link, the identity, idolatry, and the link to then sexual immorality is very, very tight in that passage. And notice it here in Isaiah, just another example. Notice the connection as I read. Isaiah says, On the high and lofty mountain you have set your bed, and there you went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost you have set up your memorial for deserting me. You have uncovered your bed, and you have gone up to it. You have made it wide. You have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed. You have looked on nakedness. And again, we could go from example to example, but all that to say that what Paul is describing here in Romans, and you might be wondering, is that really true, this sexual distortion that comes from idolatry in this downward spiral? And the answer is, yes, it does. Which then leads to a very natural question out of all of that. And the question is this, a distortion of what? What is distorted? Because by the very definition, distort means something that's changed or altered or twisted. What is it that is distorted? What's going on here? And the short answer to that is the design that God has for human sexuality. And so you might be wondering, well, what is his design? What does he really want from humans Well, we go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, where we find so many of the origins of humanity and the things that we should know. And this is God's design. It is so clear. In chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, this is what God's Word says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's design for human sexuality. One flesh. The the communication is clear about the intention of this physical union between a man and a woman. And then all the way back to going into the New Testament, Paul talks about this as well. When the Apostle Paul talks about marriage at different spots, he talks about marriage, but then he always goes back to the design between one man and one woman. And it's it's deeper than just that's just how it is. Paul says that this union between a man and a woman in the context of marriage is, is mysterious. It is special. And the mystery, it's like, why is it so mysterious? Why is it so special? Because for Paul, it speaks of the gospel. It speaks of the good news. When a, a man and a woman are together, when they are one flesh, it speaks of the gospel. It tells a story. The same story of our Savior who gave up his life sacrificially for his bride who sacrificed, who gave unconditional love, who was nurturing and caring, all of these things that we are to be as husbands, it tells that story. That's why it's so important. And it goes all the way back to the origins. And so as people who suppress the truth and as people who exchange glory, we then are very prone to distorting God's design for human sexuality. How do we do that? Well, there's really two broad paths that we travel down. And that's what we're going to talk about more specifically out of these verses that I read this morning. And the two broad paths are heterosexual distortion, and the second one is homosexual distortion. And so we are distorters by nature. And so let's look and see how we distort, and more specifically. And so going back to verses 24 and 25, what I read before, um, let's check out what this heterosexual distortion really is like. Paul said this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts uh, to, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There was a couple that came to me a while back ago and they had marriage issues. That's is common. A lot of people have marriage issues. And so they wanted to kind of figure out what was going on they felt like they had become, after 25 years of marriage, they had felt like they had just become just roommates. Where was that spark? Where that love that we had? And so they came in and they did a simple assessment, and we start having conversations about communication. we start having conversations about conflict. Uh, they were kind of on different pages. They were on the same page when it came to their kids, but now their kids had graduated and moved on, and they're kind of looking at each other now saying, who are you? Uh, who, who are we? W- what are we really doing? And in this assessment, assessment, we started looking at deeper, even deeper topics, and even the topic of intimacy. And in that conversation, it had been revealed that they had been going without this kind of intimacy for years. 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 And then, getting even deeper into that conversation, it was then revealed that there was a deep connection to pornography. And that was really kind of fueling maybe the distance and fueling what was going on. And I will tell you that time after time, when I get together with couples who are having issues, there is a distortion here of pornography that w- really kind of weaves its way in. It's destructive. It it tells a lie. You see what he says: the dishonor of their bodies amongst them, and they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Sexual distortion, lies, and pornography is one of the biggest lies out there. And it's not just for men, but it's also women. You deserve this. Look what you can be. Look what you deserve. This is what you want. This is what you should go after. Lie after lie that builds lust in the hearts of human beings. And this lust just keeps multiplying the hurt and distance in God's design. You see, pornography is just one aspect of heterosexual distortion. If we had time, I'd go into many other topics. I would go into the topic of premarital relationships that happen. You see, it's very common right now to say, hey, we're, g- we're thinking about getting married, and hey, let's move in together, and let's play out life, what it means to be a husband and wife. And, and just so you know, that is a distortion of God's design. Having... Sex outside of the covenant of marriage is a distortion. We can have a long conversation about the temptations of having affairs. It's, see, it's a very real thing, it's not just something that happens out there, but it, it can even happen within the walls of church. And the whole thing is a big fat lie. I'm lying to myself about this connection that God really wants me to have with this person. And it starts maybe emotionally, and then it, it leads to other things physically. All of it is dishonoring to God's design. And this is our story. This is our story as human beings. We are distorted when it comes to sexuality. Every single one of us. We are distorted. And you're thinking, well, not me. He's talking to the other people in the room. No, I'm talking to you. And if Jesus were here, he'd be talking to you as well. Remember, not so long ago, as we were walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, oh, you want to talk about adultery, do you? How about those who lust in their hearts? Does that describe you? And if it does, then... You are open and prone to sexual distortion. So I I need you to hear me on this. For those who are watching, it's very clear. Heterosexual acts with others outside the covenant of marriage is a sinful distortion of God's design. Maybe that's not popular. Maybe you might disagree this is God's truth. This is his timeless truth that was true 2,000 years ago to the church in Rome that is still true to the church of Riverwood Community Chapel. You need to hear that. All right, so that's, that's one lane of distortion. There is another in verses 26 and 27 as well. I'll read them again to refresh us. Paul says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So these verses outline the second lane of distortion that I talk about See, we go from this idea of being people who are uh, suppressors of truth, exchangers, and we are prone to distortion sexually. And one of those roads is heterosexual distortion, and another broad path as well is homosexual distortion. Now, as you might expect, there's a response from the homosexual community to these verses. And I want to share with you a couple of those so you can hear what people are saying about God's word. And the one is to say, you're going to read something that's that old? It's thousands of years old. You're going to trust this? We are changing. We are molding. We We are transforming as culture and as people. That is so outdated. Why would you even look at these words? And people will mock God's Word to say, why even waste your time? You see, that is one approach um, to these words, is to just dismiss them altogether. But this is not what we affirm about God's Word. God's Word says, even about itself, that it is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and, and what was true back then has a timeless truth that is still true today. God's word stands the test of time and speaks truth. All right. Well, secondly, some might engage with, okay, well, let's read those words. But you see what they're saying, right? Paul's saying that we shouldn't go against what is natural for what is unnatural. And what I find to be natural is my homosexuality. And so what this is saying, that is, if I go against that into the realms of heterosexuality, I will be going against God's intention. You see, that's what's going on here in the text. The natural for the unnatural. But let me tell you, this is not what God's Word is teaching. This is not the correct interpretation of these verses. This is not how the ancient language is interpreting these This is now how other authors use the word natural and unnatural. There's a long conversation here. I would love to engage anybody into that conversation, but this is not what God's Word is is teaching. If you go into the whole counsel of God's Word from the Old Testament to the New, it is very clear what Paul is saying in these verses about what is natural and what is not natural. Now, there are other interpretations of these too numerous to discuss and quite frankly not that convincing if you want to engage in those conversations let's do that there's a number there you can text we can speak more of that but here's the timeless truth that you need to hear and i want to be very clear about this as well please hear me on this that homosexual acts with others is a sinful distortion of god's design god's word is very clear about that. Homosexual acts with others is a sinful distortion of God's design. And even in that phrase, you might have more questions. And there's a lot of things we could talk about and unpack even in in that simple phrase right there. So where do we go? I mean, th- that's why we have gathered, right? You have gathered here to say, where, where do we go in this whole conversation of, of distortion? You see, we all suppress, we all exchange, we're all prone to distortion. This is our story. So now what do we do? Yes, we can all feel that. We all express that. We all know that to be our narrative. So what do we do? see, the struggle is very real. It's, it's, it's a struggle with all of us individually. It's a struggle in our marriage. It's a struggle with our kids. It's a struggle that we know is true of our coworkers. It's, it's a struggle within our community, our world. We are people who distort God's design of human sexuality. So what do we do? As followers of Jesus Christ, we want something different. What are we called to do? I want to provide just some points. I could probably come up with ten. I came up with five. These are things that just came to me, and I really feel the Lord wants me to share about this topic. And the first one is this. There's going to be five statements. The first one is this. Hate the distortion. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Riverwood, hate the distortion. I know I do. The things that I am drawn to, the things that I think about, I hate hate. Paul will even say a little bit later in Romans, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, his sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And it is this wrestling, this wrestling that we wrestle with daily of this sinful nature. Here's my question. Do you hate the sexual distortion that you're prone to, whether it's heterosexual distortion or homosexual distortion? Do you hate it? Or are we living lives that coddle it, celebrate it, don't mind it? We are called, as Christ followers, to hate the distortion. Secondly, let me say this. Come to the one who can forgive you. We're so broken. This is the whole point that Paul's making in chapter 1 of of Romans. Is this spiral. Suppressors, exchangers, distorters. There we are. We are helpless on our own. Come to the one who can forgive you. I think of of the words out of 1 John that say, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this morning, when I say unrighteousness, I think of the sexual distortion. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is what God's word says. Let's not be lying to ourselves about how we are designed and the things that we're prone to. Hate the distortion. Come to the one. His name is Jesus Christ who can forgive you. Third, be accountable. Be accountable. Find someone who is willing to ask you the hard questions. Remember, we're all prone to this, so let's not be surprised. So when we ask each other, how are you doing?, we can't just say, oh, I'm fine. No, how are you really doing? Find that person who can, who can ask the really part. How are you really doing? Oh, you care about me that much. Well, let me share with you the temptations I'm facing or the things that are going on in my life. And if you have nobody who can ask you the really part, I invite you to come Monday nights to a group of people who can ask those questions, who will go there with you. It's a program called Celebrate Recovery. People have hurts, hang-ups, and habits. And since we are all habitually people who are prone to sexual distortion, guess who is welcome? All are welcome. Please come. Hate the distortion. Come to the one who can forgive you. Be accountable. And the fourth thing I would say is this. Be holy as he is holy. See, this is the charge in the Scriptures for all who are followers of Jesus Christ in our thinking, in our actions. Maybe even the people we hang out with that we shouldn't. Maybe in the places we allow ourselves to wander. Maybe in that relationship that we sense is becoming too connected. And we need to put a stop to it. Maybe that movie that everybody's going to, we're going to say, no, I'm not going to. Maybe we need to, and we're going to make hard choices because to be holy as as he is holy in the 21st century is not popular. Yet, that is what he is calling us to, to be different, set apart, to be holy in this battle, in this struggle. Of sexual distortion. The fifth thing I'll say is this defend God's design for sexuality. Defend it. He is calling his people to defend it. What does this mean? It can look so many ways, there's so many conversations here. But maybe as a teenager, he's going to use you to be the one to speak up in our culture that doesn't want to hear about this design especially if it's against the, the feelings and thoughts of our pop culture that says, oh, do what feels good, whatever you want, celebrate this. It's such a great expression. Yes, wonderful. No, be the one who will defend God's design. He is needing more people to stand up for his design. Maybe you're listening, and as someone who might be prone to same-sex attraction, God is calling you to a, a pure and celibate life. Maybe He's calling you into something that's not to act out what, he, what you're feeling. A lot more conversation there. Maybe as a couple, in the covenant of marriage, God is calling you to practice His design For husbands to look out for their wives in this way. And for wives to look out for their husbands in this way. And you're thinking, is the pastor really saying what I think he's saying? Yes, I am. This is important. There's so much distortion. Let's celebrate the covenant of marriage and what can happen and should be happening. Or maybe as a parent, he's calling you to walk a difficult journey of sexual distortion with your own kids. I don't know. There, there is so much out there. So much conversation. But will we be the defenders of God's design for human sexuality? There's a lot more we could say. Again, the phone number is here if you have more questions. I'll even be here afterwards if you want to come up and make a connection and Maybe we can exchange emails, have more conversation. But this is why this is so important. You're saying, what's the big deal about this conversation? It is a big deal because Paul is painting the picture of mankind's darkness on his own. This spiral. (laughs) You've seen it spiraling from week to week to week to week. And this is, we're getting to the bottom of it now. (laughs) This is who we are, debased in our our thinking, and in our distortion of human sexuality. And in chapter 1, Paul is, is calling us to be people who realize how broken we are. Because in our brokenness, we realize how we are in need of good news. And there is good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who can forgive, the one who can redeem, the one who will walk with you in difficult moments. Our brokenness should lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ this morning. And I pray that it does. And again, if you want more conversation, more questions, we would love to engage with you as a church. And I'm going to say as I'm going to pray for us in this, because this is a hard topic, difficult. I'm going to also say that as the, the worship team is going to come up and, and uh, play two more songs, maybe this is a moment you want to spend time praying, confessing, and maybe even come to one of these stair steps as well. Sometimes if we go up and express ourselves in maybe in a kneeling kind of fashion, it it means something deeper to us in this moment. And maybe even those at home want to, to kneel at home on a couch. I mean, these are huge topics that the Lord wants us to take very seriously. And so let me pray for us as we close. Dear God, we thank you for your word. These timeless truths that we are unearthing out of your word this morning, God, thank you for them. We need to hear these things, because often the narrative we're listening to is the one of the world, and as we all know, that's a much different narrative, especially on this topic. As a culture, we love to celebrate even our distortion of heterosexual distortion or even the homosexual distortion. As your children, you called us to something much different to celebrate and to express the design that you have for us. May we do that as a church. Help us in that. We are needing strength and wisdom and perseverance and clarity and all the fruit of the Spirit to live this out in ways that honor you and your kingdom. So thank you for hearing us this morning as your church in this. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.